message, um, Judgment Day, and um, Jesus has been speaking of a wicked and a perverse generation that looks for a sign. The problem with signs and wonders, the problem with miracles, looking for miracles, is that instead of um, being, bringing praise from Jesus, it often brings a rebuke from Jesus. People who look for signs and wonders and proof often get a rebuke and not a blessing from Christ. And we see it from God's word. Because if you remember uh, Thomas, when he didn't really believe the other men who told him that Jesus was alive. When Jesus appeared, we read in the scriptures, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Not only that, remember the two men on the road to Emmaus. You know, everyone told them that Jesus was alive. The women came back from the tomb. The two men who ran to the tomb saw that Jesus was not there. And they told them, but these two men didn't believe. What was Jesus' response to them? When Jesus met them on the road, he said to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. You were looking for a sign. You want to see me. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? See, contrary to popular opinion, looking for signs and wonders doesn't bring praise from Jesus, but actually looking for signs and wonders brings a rebuke because you're not looking at faith any longer, but you're looking at what you can feel and see and touch. And Jesus now expounds on that. Jesus now looks at this generation that he's in and he says, this generation that I'm speaking to, they are perverse, they're wicked, they're crooked, they're bent because they are looking for a sign. And so he goes on to expound on that. So the first thing that I want to look at this morning is what to expect. You know, heaven is always, it's always wonderful to speak about heaven. Why? Because heaven is our final destination. I don't know, I've got two guys who went to Barbados. I think, Jimmy, you've been to Barbados as well, haven't you? Recently as well as, did you have to stop off anywhere? Before you actually flew into Barbados, or was it a direct flight? Uh, you went to Jamaica. Two white guys going to Jamaica and Barbados. I haven't been there myself yet, and I'm black. But um, <laughs> you went to Barbados, right? You stop off, or you just no? Okay. Normally, when you go to another country, you know you might stop off and get another plane to go into. I remember with me and Kim on, on and we had a honeymoon over in um, Anguilla, and we we stopped off at, at Tiga first. Because our final destination was, was Anguilla. But even though that was our final destination, we stopped off for a time in a small island. What I want to tell you this morning, this world is a small island. Our final destination right, is not earth. 
Our final destination is not traveling the world. Our final destination is in the glory in the kingdom of God. That's our final destination. And, you know, that wonderful, glorious kingdom, that wonderful heaven, in that place, there will be a judgment seat. A judgment seat in that wonderful place. And that is borne out in the Bible. Look what it says in the Bible. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's going to be a judgment in heaven. Also, look what it says. Just as people are destined to die once, and then after that, face the judgment. Now, back in the day, early Christians used to love talking about the judgment of God. The judgment day or the judgment seat of Christ was a glorious topic. It wasn't a topic to be shunned or sidestepped. The judgment day of Christ was a glorious topic. Why? Because Jesus Christ has drunk all the wrath of God for you and for me. When Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass me by, but not my will, your will be done. Well, it was God's will that Jesus would drink that cup of his anger and his wrath. And guess what? He drunk all of it. There's not one drop left for the born-again Christian. Jesus had taken the wrath of God upon himself. That's why when Christians spoke about the judgment seat of Christ, it was a glorious topic. Because Jesus Christ has taken the judgment for me. Praise be to God. And what a wonderful, awesome sight it would be. God will be amazing. I wrote down here, God will be terrible. But that's what has changed in our language now. God will be amazing on that day. Can you just imagine what it will be like? The sound of angels crying out in worship. The sound of loud trumpets being blown in worship to God will be frightening. And then Jesus Christ himself will come and he will sit upon his throne full of the brightness of the splendor of his glory. And as he sits on that throne, your heart will probably melt within you at the sight your knees will probably knock together at the wonderful, awesome sight of seeing Christ. But that day will have no fear for you. Do you know why? Because the one who sits upon the throne of glory also resides in my life as well. Praise be to God. The one who sits in splendor also resides within me as well. That's why it holds no terror for the born-again Christian. Another reason why the judgment day holds no terror is because all the wrong things in our world on that day will be corrected. All the evil, all the wicked things that man has done, every evil and wicked thing will be put right on that day. As I look in the news, I look into our world, sadly, our world 
has seen people get away with terrible crimes. Oh, some get arrested, some get put in prison, but the vast amount of people get away with so much evil and wickedness. But on that glorious day, every wrong thing will be put right. Look what the Bible says in Revelation. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All wrong, hallelujah, will be put right. That's why the Christians in the early day looked forward to the judgment day. They were being persecuted. They were being beheaded. They were being chased out of their homes. They were living in caves. They were living in in holes in the ground. And they wondered and prayed, oh God, bring the judgment day. We look forward to it because we know that all our suffering, all our pain will be put right on the day of judgment. And so the Christians in the old day didn't sidestep the judgment day. They looked forward to the day of judgment. And I want to tell you this morning, you as Christians this morning, if you're a believer, you need to look forward to that wonderful, glorious day where you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Praise God. So, at the judgment seat of Christ, who will be there? Who will be there? Well, Jesus, in our Bible reading, mentioned two groups of people who will be there at the judgment day. The first one we read, the queen of the south. He says, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Who will be there? Well, the Bible says that the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will be there. Well, the Bible turns around and tells me that this queen of the south was a a woman, a pagan, an ungodly woman, probably from Ethiopia. She could have been from Yemen. These two areas they think that she's probably come from. But she came from a pagan country. And she had her own gods there. She had her own gods made of stone, her own idols. But she left Ethiopia, she left the Yemen, wherever she came from, because she heard something about King Solomon. This king, God blessed. We have the the Bible reading in in Chronicles, and that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people for who's able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon asked for wisdom and God, in his mercy, gave a man who was weak, a man who was feeble. God gave him wisdom and that poured such great wisdom upon him that his fame spread across half the world. So much so that this woman, the Queen of Sheba, 
The Bible says that she left her country. The Bible says that she traveled from the ends of the earth to get to where Solomon was because he had wisdom that she heard about. And when she got there, this is what her testimony was. We find it in Kings. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. She was amazed when she came into Solomon's presence. Now Jesus picks up the story. And he says this. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation. And condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now someone greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus is saying, on the day of judgment, when Jesus Christ takes his seat upon the throne in glory and splendor, the people of his day, the Jews of his day, will be there, standing there before him. And then suddenly a woman will rise up on the side. And this woman will turn around and she will say, to the Jews of Jesus' day, she will point to them and she will say to them, I came a long, long way. It took me months. It took me months to get to Jerusalem and I came. And why did I come? Because I heard of a man who had wisdom that God has given him. But I condemn you, she will say. I condemn you because you have the one who gave Solomon the wisdom standing in front of you and you did not believe. You have a one who is greater than Solomon and you did not believe and therefore the queen of the south will stand up and she will point the finger at the Jews of God's, of Jesus' day and say, I condemn you, I condemn you, I condemn you, I condemn you to the fires of hell. And guess what? The people of Jesus' day, the Jews there, would have no answer. They would have no answer. Who else will be there at the judgment day? Well, not only would the queen of the south will be there, but Jesus turned around and said there'd be another group of people there. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now someone greater than Jonah is here. Do you know about the men of Nineveh? I'm telling you, the men of Nineveh, they were wicked. They were extremely wicked. In fact, the Bible tells me, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against up before me. The men of Nineveh, 120,000 men, women, and children, all of them were wicked and evil beyond description. 
History will tell you that the men and women of Nineveh was completely evil. One of the stories I heard that they used to play football with the heads of people that they chopped off in the city of Nineveh. It was wicked. But Jonah came. You know, Jonah came and he preached the shortest sermon ever. Eight words. You know, I wish I could just preach eight words and sit down. But he preached eight words. Look at the Look at his sermon. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming. Here's his eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his message. Eight words and that's all he preached. Nothing more. Nothing about the love of God. Nothing about the mercy of God. Nothing about the escape plan. No, no remedy. Here's his message. It's straight. It's eight words and eight words only. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I wish I could preach a simple message like that and have the result that he had. Look at the result he had. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, hear that? That's amazing, isn't it? All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. All of them, 120,000 people, from the greatest to the least, men, women, teenagers, and children, all of them believed God at the preaching of Jonah. Now Jesus turns around and he says to the people of his day, Do you see those 120,000 people? Well, on the day of judgment, when I sit on the throne to judge in glorious splendor, and you come up before me, you men and women that I'm be preaching and ministering to in Jerusalem, you come up before me. 120,000 people will stand up, and they will say, it's amazing. We point a finger at you, this generation. We point a finger at you because we believe the preaching of a man who came out of the belly of a fish. He looked disgusting. He had no beauty about him. He had no love for us. In fact, he hated us. And yet he preached a short message. And 120,000 of us, we believe God. And turn from our sin. But now you have someone greater than Jonah. You have someone who sent Jonah. You have someone who not only is preaching eight words. But he preached whole messages. And miracles as well. And yet you refuse to believe in him. And on a judgment day. 120,000 people will point to the men in Jerusalem. And say, we condemn you. We condemn you. We condemn you. We condemn you. And they will have nothing to say. Well, how does that apply to us? What about us? Well, we live in a generation, don't we? 
a generation, what do we have? Well, we have wonderful, solid proofs that Jesus was alive. He was arrested. He was tried. Although he was innocent, he was declared guilty. We have solid proof that he was beaten and whipped. How many artists have painted a picture of Jesus being beaten? How many men and women have, have, have thought about and, and how many Hollywood films have rolled out describing how Jesus was crucified? Oh, there's proof indeed that Jesus was beaten, whipped, and crucified under Pontius Pilate. We have solid proof that he died and was buried in a tomb, not his own, belonging to a man called Joseph of Arimathea. Solid proof that when they went to that tomb, it was empty. Jesus himself said before he died, what will happen? The son of man will be betrayed. He'll be beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross, dark killed, and on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus, even himself, before he even happened, told his disciples what would happen. We have four Gospels telling us one story. We have 66 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament telling us one story. In this generation, we have more Bibles, more books, more preachers, more churches than any other generation that's gone before us. Nevertheless, a young girl in Pakistan on the judgment day will rise up. And this young girl in Pakistan will turn around and say, I went to a Christian school that was built by Golding's Church and there I heard that Jesus Christ loved me and died for me. And she will turn around to those in Golding's Church who are not born again and maybe that includes you and you're standing by the judgment facing Christ, wondering why you're not filled with joy of seeing him. Wondering why you're not filled with awe and wonder and pleasure at seeing him. And the reason why, because you're not truly born again. And she will point a finger at you and say, you went to Golding's church. Didn't you hear prayers from my little school in Pakistan? And yet you didn't believe Christ yourself? I condemn you, she will say. I'll condemn this generation. A young man in North Korea who's been in prison because of his faith, never seen a church, never been out of, a, of the prison. In fact, he came to faith in Christ while he was in prison. And when he stands in the judgment day, he will condemn the Christians in the West. And he will say, you had churches open on a Sunday morning, but you didn't go in. But I was in prison, and I would love to have been in church. But I found Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he will rise up on the judgment day, and he will say, I condemn you, this generation. A young woman from Iraq will rise up on the day of judgment, and she will say, 
in Iraq or in Iran, I was a secret believer. I couldn't come out. My parents didn't know, my, my, my family didn't know, but I read that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I was a secret believer. But I condemn you in the West, because you had all the opportunities of knowing Jesus and declaring him as your Lord and Savior, and you didn't do it. In fact, you didn't even take it up yourself. And she will rise up in judgment and say, I condemn this generation. A young boy in northern Nigeria will rise up on the judgment day and he will say, while I was worshipping God in northern Nigeria, someone threw a bomb in my church and all of us got exploded and died. But I ended up in glory. But I look at the church in the west and I see dryness. I see hard-heartedness. I see coldness towards Christ. And when they turn up on the judgment day saying, I went to church, the boy in Nigeria will rise up and say, no, no, I condemn you, this generation, because you didn't have a love for the Savior. Yes, you went to church, but you had no love. But me, in northern Nigeria, when the Muslims were throwing bombs and burning our churches, I was there worshipping God. I condemn this Western society. A woman in Libya will stand up and she will say, I went in church in the basement. We met there all the time in fear and trembling. Dare not give the address just in case the authorities come and drag us away. But I love that church. And I learned that Jesus loved me. And she will rise up on the day of judgment. And she will say, I condemn the West. You had churches on every hill. Churches on every high street. And yet you didn't enjoy being in the presence of God. I condemn this generation. A Christian in Morocco, another in Nepal, another Christian in Sri Lanka, another Christian in Vietnam will say we only had half a Bible. We only had the Gospel of John. And while we read the Gospel of John, we found that Jesus loves sinners and we come to faith in Christ. I had the Gospel of John and he will stand up and he will condemn this generation because they had a whole Bible. And yet they didn't read it. Neither did they believe it. And he will stand up and he will stand up on the judgment day and condemn this generation and say, you had everything. We had nothing, and yet we believed in God. But is there an answer? Is there an answer to the condemnation that men and women will face at the judgment seat of Christ? Yes, there is. And the answer is found in the word of God. Look at it here. For you know, for you know the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. For your sakes he became poor. So that through his poverty. You might become rich. For you know. The Bible says. You know. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich. For your sakes. He became poor so that through 
through his poverty, you might become rich. You see, it's the grace of God that can save you. Not your works. Oh, no, no, no. Your works are worthless. But the grace of God that can cause you to look at your sin as Barry shared in his testimony when he looked at his life in the past and he saw the violence, he saw the drugs, he saw the alcohol, he saw that it's the grace of God that caused him to hate his old life and the grace of God that will cause him to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God that is needed and only the grace of God and on that glorious day of judgment that glorious wonderful day when Jesus will take his seat and every man every woman would appear before the judgment seat of Christ before you enter glory before you enter heaven you pass through the judgment of Christ and as you enter into that judgment it's grace and grace alone that will get you through. And grace, and grace alone that will cause you to hear these wonderful words. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master happiness. Well done! Thou good and faithful servant. Even though you didn't see many signs. Even though you didn't see many wonders. Even though you didn't see miracles. Left, right and center. Even though you didn't see great things. You were faithful. Even though people persecuted you. People laughed at you. People didn't believe the gospel that you spoke. Even though you suffered and you cried. Well done. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Come. Come and share your master's happiness. That is what Christ will say to every single person who turn up on the judgment seat. Who rely upon the grace of God. And not upon their own works. What are you relying upon this morning? Would you tick the box this morning saying, well, I've been a good person today. I've been in church. Done that, done that. Tick that box. What will be your standing on the day of judgment? Will you be looking around and saying to yourself, I wonder if anybody will rise up against me and, and say something. Hopefully I can get through this. No need to have that fear. But the one who sits on the judgment seat of Christ the Christ himself can dwell within you as well by the grace of God. No need to fear the judgment seat. But it's a time to rejoice and praise God. Because even though we may suffer, even though we may not see our prayers being answered the way we like our prayers to be answered, nevertheless, well done. You have been faithful with few things, says the Lord. Come. And share your master's happiness. May that be you. May that be me. In Jesus name. Amen.